can a loving God allow bad things to happen? Well, a loving God allowed the worst thing to happen to himself. He came down and, and took on flesh and, and made himself lower than the angels and allowed himself to be destroyed by, by men that he created and that he loved on the entire time he was here. That's, that's the only way the story makes sense. We're not worshiping a God that sits up far away. He stepped right into the midst of our mess and let us do to him what we do to each other and then said, this is the result of your wicked heart. Now, will you submit your heart so I can change it into something much more beautiful, much more glorious? And that's where, and we're seeing this played out again today. And that's why the love of men will wax cold and it's going to be as bad as it was in the days of Noah. And there's going to be no choice but for him to return and save us. Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. Last week, we went into some um, some things that were going on around the time of Joseph and his death, and we, we just read a few things out of history that were printed. I think we all can tell nowadays in media how many different people can share opinions and those opinions can be based on fact or truth or their understanding of fact or truth. And it doesn't mean they're right in any way. And for just about anything you can say, Corey, someone else can say something to contradict that and sound just as important and valid. Right. And, and now they can point to a website that has it and it states it too. So, right. Where do you go? Where do you find truth? Right. So if we step back a hundred years into church history or 200 years into church history, uh, I guess it wouldn't be 200 years. It's almost 200 almost, years. Yeah. yeah. So if we go back into church history, we have periodicals. We have uh, uh, newspapers. We had printing presses then, and people would write and, and put things out. But that's that's so limited to compare to what we have today. But that doesn't mean that the opinions were limited back then. Just, no, just the no. way to, to put those opinions out was limited. But People also <laughs> sat around and talked face to face about these things. You know, they're for entertainment back then. They would go to revival meetings, right, and tent mm-hmm. revivals, and mm-hmm. there would be speeches and there would be debates where people would come and listen to one person present their theory and then listen to the other person. So it was like a live Facebook, but people were actually carrying it out face to face in person. Right. So this, uh, we don't have all of those things, but opinions were just as common back then. And I believe that finding truth was just as hard mm-hmm. and just as buried. And and that's why we have the word of God that we have to hold on to. And people could say, well, the word of God's been perverted or, you know, it's it's gone through the hands of men. And so can we trust the word of God? What would you say to that, Corey? You know, um, thank the Lord he's given us the Book of Mormon because, um, for, for the words that have been transcribed by men in this earth, I believe that it is the, the purest form of God's word that we can put our hands on. And um, <clears throat> not, to, not to lessen any other records we have, whether they're within our church or from the Jews or whatever, but God said, hey, I wanted to be merciful to you guys, so I'm bringing this word back from Joseph's people to, to you. There are problems in our day, which I'm learning right now, we, we not me, uh, people who study the languages have found that English translations of the Bible, they're better now than they were a few hundred years ago because we understand more about the ancient Hebrew. I was going to uh, say, you know, keep that line of thought, but just because I love different versions, you know, the King James was, people were translating based on what they thought thought it meant. And there were politics yeah. influencing how it was supposed yeah. to be translated too. But through, we say that it's, it is refreshing to me that so much of the Bible though is intact and, and manuscripts have been found. Now, whether they were the original or, or ones that were changed and then originals from those. But I do like to see, and I listen to people that do love language, Christians who have studied and have computers and all of this technology they are seeing some of these words that are different now, and it's really refreshing 
to listen to guys like the Bible Project go in and figure out now what the Hebrew was meaning. And hey, you know, our idea of apocalypse isn't exactly what they meant back then. It doesn't mean the end of the word. It means to or the end of the world. We hear apocalypse. Oh, it's apocalyptic. No, they're, they're st- no this means to reveal something that's hidden, right. to reveal something that's hidden. And so people are finding new meaning. So sorry to bother you. So yeah, but the Book of Mormon, you know, was one time translated through man and, and not too long ago. So. Well, it, it's because of that. What you just said, I, I've been following a, a man, Jeff Benner. I know I mentioned him before. He's got a website called ancient-hebrew.org. And he's he's done tremendous work in looking at ancient Hebrew words and trying to come up with better um, English words for the meaning behind the, the words. And he's got a, a lexicon or a dictionary of hundreds of Hebrew words that he's putting into English. And, and what's been fascinating for me, Mike, is going through these and finding his and, and he states, like, in Joseph Smith's day, Strong's Concordance didn't exist. Now, he doesn't say that. I'm saying this. Right. He, he doesn't, he's not Mormon, LDS, or anything, uh, Restoration. He's just a guy who studies this. But Joseph Smith didn't have a Strong's Concordance where he could look up the meaning of Hebrew words. Well, what I found, I went through his website and literally took every word and put it through a computer search in the Book of Mormon and find that hundreds of his better words of understanding in English from the Hebrew appear in the Book of Mormon. And many times they don't appear in the Bible at all. He's, he's saying, hey, well, the Bible uses this word, but actually it, sh- it was a better word to use this. For instance, the word faithful, I think we mentioned this in a couple podcasts now. He said the, the better word for being faithful is to be, and he says, quote, firm and steadfast. Well, the Book of Mormon uses in several places, search it, firm and steadfast for for being faithful. And the Bible doesn't use those words together at all to talk about it. And yet he's saying, no, if you really want to understand what faithfulness is, it means to be firm and it's to be steady. And so it's used time and time again throughout the Book of Mormon. Well, it's it's words like that that are just have me really fascinated because it's like, I'd love to have him on our show sometime and talk about this if he'd be willing because um, I just find that the translation of English words in certain biblical contexts has been misleading. And and to throw one thing out, and I, I know we've also talked about this from time to time, this scripture that sucks the oxygen out of the room when you bring it up among restorationists is, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And you know, you mention one God and all of a sudden you've got division because of historical ways people look at that scripture. But he points out, he said, the way us Gentiles look at this idea, God being one, we want to think, is it one entity or is it three entities? And then we have that debate based on the English understanding, our English, westernized English understanding. He said, but the idea that was presented from the Hebrew had nothing to do with the way we argue about those words. The The idea that the Hebrews meant was God was unified. God was one. He was one in purpose. That's God is mercy and God is justice. God is you know working all these things to your salvation. That is his unity. That is his purpose. That's what they meant by it. But saying that, um, so this Last episode, we talked about, hey, what do you what do you tell the the young woman who's you know trying to teach your kids in the confusion of all these ideas? Where do you sort out ideas from fact? Well, the the, the Book of Mormon and the Bible both state that um, you have to have a blank heart and a blank spirit. What are the blanks, Mike? Right, from, right? broken heart. Yeah, contrite spirit. Contrite spirit. And and so I wondered, what is what does that mean? Um, one one scripture, Second uh, Nephi, chapter one, verse seventy-two, RLDS. Behold, he offereth, offereth himself a sacrifice for sin to answer the ends of the law, unto all those who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and unto none else can the ends of the law be answered. I love that scripture. To me, I, I just feel like you've taken a hundred verses out of the Bible and put them into one concise thought that is so powerful. And that's one of those scriptures you can memorize and put into your little brain and use it to remind yourself, am I on the right path? We right. talked about two paths. And so you, you ask, am I on the right path? 
Am I saved? Am I going to be saved? And that scripture tells you, what does it say? To be broken and contrite and none else. None else. None None else. else. So there's your, there's your, the left hand or the right hand, black or white parallels. It's like, this is it. Broken and contrite. Son of perdition, broken right. and contrite. Son of perdition. It's, it's just that—that's the difference. And in the end, you see, you know, even the religions within the Restoration have have said, "No, it mounts up to all your different works. All your works can be is evidence that your heart was broken and your spirit was contrite. That's all it can do. It's not the measure of the work that can make the difference for eternity, mm-hmm. because he was the sacrifice to answer." The requirement that justice says, no, you're cast out of my presence, the only solution to that was his sacrifice, and lying in the balance is our heart. Is our heart broken and contrite? Then the penalty is erased by his mercy. If our heart wasn't broken and contrite, mercy can't rob justice. That's what it means. Mercy can't do anything about it. And it's just like, just like, Adam was cast out of the garden. The Book of Mormon says, hey, you aren't justified any more than Adam. Your sin is going to separate you from God. There was only one answer to this dilemma, and that is that our heart changes. So then we have to ask, so, okay, so what, what does, does it mean? mean? What does it mean? heart, contrite spirit. So contrite, let's, I don't. So let's have a, let's have a <laughs> podcast, Mike. What okay, do you say? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you say we talk about this for absolutely. a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so, you know, I, I travel uh, through... Uh, our heartland. I love. I love the fact that some of my uh, customers require me to drive a couple hours through the countryside. I, I love this, and I was um, because I just I just love watching the sunrise over fields yes. of corn and hillsides yes. of cattle. You know, I just love that. And so uh, often I find myself up in north central Missouri and drive through a, a part of Amish country, and and uh, and I I you know it, it, there's this kind of everyone has this romantic look at oh wouldn't it be fun if we could just ride horse and buggies and all this and wouldn't it be fun if you know we didn't have all these things of our modern day and wouldn't it be fun if and of course it's like no i'd really would rather sleep in air conditioning rather than a 90 degree home in the summer right but um, so so but but when i see this i realize that you know the horse and buggy is not just hey let's choose a better way of life for for and i and I'm generalizing here, and I'm not a I'm not studying on Amish history, but for them, part of their belief structure dictates that no, if you want to come to God, you have to deny this technology of this world because that's the evil, you know. I mean, and so ultimately, it's it's, it's an expression of hey, it's kind of like we were talking before Brigham's teaching. Hey, if you want to come to God, the spiritual wifeism, or you want to come to God, it's tithing. Or, 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 you know, in other faiths in the Gentile world, you get people who, um, and again, I, I, I don't want to sound disparaging, I'm not at all, to other religions. But for instance, you get people who make uh, travel the Me- to Mecca, you know, this, this Hajj, and they uh, get to this place and they walk around these stone pillars and they throw, throw stones at them because that, they're symbolically in their, their belief structure pelting Satan with these stones and it's symbolizing a moment in time when Abraham did something like that and it's recorded in their history. Well, they believe that if you throw these stones at this, you know, you're actually going to come closer to God because you're, 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 you're denouncing evil and all this. So, so here, some people ride horse and buggies to say, this is how you got to come close to God. Some people say, you know, throw these stones at this rock and you'll come closer to God, right? It's a symbolic act. Um, I, I watched a guy on YouTube recently, Mike, and he was just a street preacher and, you know, God, God bless him and anyone who has the courage to go out there, there and do this. And he's in, you know, a crowded urban area and there's people who look like they're probably still high on drugs and other people who are kind of hecklers. But he's saying to these people, come on right now if you want to be saved and I'll make you saved. Come here right now and you can be saved. And it's like, and I'm looking at him thinking, you know, here he's, he's shouting and preaching his heart out, but what is he going to do to them? Just say it, say this little prayer with me, now you're saved. No, all these things, forget that the, they miss the point that salvation means our heart has to change. You know, riding in a buggy doesn't make my heart change or throwing stones at a rock doesn't make my heart change or just walking up to someone on the street who says, okay, read this prayer with me and now you're, you're saved. No, what, what is required of me 
is that something changes within me from God's Spirit. And this is what's the beautiful part of the restored gospel that we're supposed to be teaching, right? Right, not... Yeah, and, and we, we've said it many times. We, we, we have our own Mecca. We have our own horse and buggies that, that we add up, that we say we have to, by doing this, we are saved. And, and that doesn't necessarily <laughs> add up to the Word of God or what it, what it teaches, or sometimes we substitute it. Well, so on this note, um, remember a couple episodes back, we enjoyed talking about these Hebrew meanings, and when we talk about the Hebrew meanings, you know, Hebrew has had its own changes or, over the course of time. Uh, the The ancient Hebrew, if it was spoken right now, wouldn't even be understood by people who speak Hebrew today. The words were different. They were formed differently. It's evolved through time, but um, there have been certain ways it was written. The script language that we have now was different back in Lehi's day, and it was different in Abraham and Moses's day too. And going back in those days, we talked about how the in that time period they used the little pictographs, and we talked about how the man and the woman, right? right? The woman, the ox, and the water, right? The strong water, right? And the man, the, the tent, and everything. But then this idea for uh, God and this word we use, El Shaddai, you know, uh, that meant his ability to nourish, how it was this ox head and, and what looked like an udder, the breast. Right. And how in the Hebrew mind, they didn't mean. God had breasts or God had an udder, but they saw it as the purpose that the, the breast nourished and it provided the perfect means of, of nourishment to the infant to, to grow him and nourish him. And, and so we, we talked about that, right? And this is all pertinent because we don't do it. I don't, we don't do it. I don't do it. I don't search these things out to try to feel intelligently superior or I know a little bit more about the word. To me, it's fascinating. I want to know what the earliest, recorded history in this civilization, what their knowledge of God was, what he told them, how they came to understand him, how our concepts of God, you know, came about based on all of these histories. To me, it's just fascinating. So yeah, when I hear the word faith, I'm like, where did this word come from? How did it come into existence? What were people understanding about it? How did that affect their relationship with God when they first heard it? And you know, has it been changed through time? Are we are we getting the same understanding? Like you said, there's so many, and one of the most common is just, yeah, I believe he exists, and that's just so. Yeah, this is so. It's so exciting when we get into these because I find them so. Uh, it, they relate so much to where I'm at in my relationship with God today. Well, so this is one of these things where it's like because of the meaning of words, it, it can change. For me too, the, this it's fascinating to me because it, it changes our understanding and it can give us these aha moments. And to where even scriptures that seemed a little out of place, all of a sudden you find there's there's beauty in them. You know, and I'm leading up to this broken and contrite, but I I want to I want to throw a scripture out that hit me recently that I realized. Wow, that proves mm-hmm. that proves the Book of Mormon like nothing else. And the scripture is one you wouldn't think of. It, it's this scripture that seems out of place where it says, "Are women to give plenty of suck for their children and we're strong?" This is when Nephi is in his journey and they're they're traveling in the desert and they're living on raw meat. Well, the reason that's interesting is because when you consider that in the day when people were writing in the pictograph form, and Nephi's understanding these purposes of God, he talks about how their women were able to provide nourishment for their children through through their milk. But then it doesn't end there. This is a beautiful parallel. And he says, and this is 1 Nephi 5, First uh, Nephi chapter 5, verse 57, said, the blessings were so great of the Lord upon us. Now he's talking about this in the blessing. He said, we lived on raw meat, our women to give plenty of suck for their children and were strong like unto the men. So, but but what he continues is a parallel. And he says in verse 59 or 58, and so we see that the commandments of God must be fulfilled. And if so, if it so be that the children of men keep the commandments of God, he doth nourish them 
and strengthen them and provide ways and means whereby they can accomplish the thing he has commanded them. What he's seen before him is this idea that God nourishes. That was literally this ancient Hebrew word of God nourishing through the breast, and he's comparing their women's physical ability to nourish their children with how God spiritually nourishes us. It's all tied into the meaning of the word. And only in the Book of Mormon, I mean, it seems almost out of place to even mention something like that, but yet he's seeing the meaning of the word here. Well, so why bring bring that up? Because studying in Jeff Benner's Hebrew lexicon recently, he I was reading and he gives a definition for the word um, to to suckle at the breast was their word for being innocent. Now, so remember broken heart and contrite spirit. Well, there was a pictograph in the day for the word being innocent, and it was a picture that looked like a sun on the horizon and and drawing, and there was light. And there was also a picture of... um, like a seed, if you will, representing like the uh, human or the next generation, uh, like a little dandelion seed in this light. Now, it seems obscure, but he said in the Hebrew, this actually, he said, represented to them a child drawn in. Uh, the child was the seed and this light was this uh, on the horizon drawing in of light. It meant a child being brought in and held close like an infant would be at the breast. Now, what does this have to do with anything? Well, this idea of innocence, this idea of innocence was associated with being an infant. It meant, and, and I'm reading from his definition, it was a Innocent was represented by this child being held close. He says, it was a state of innocence as an infant, innocent, guiltless, blameless, clean. So guiltless, blameless, clean. Those those were the words represented by this. And the reason it's important to me is found when we read King King Benjamin's speech to his people in the first few chapters of Mosiah, He states this. He says, um, there will be a time that cometh that none will be found blameless before God. Now, that word blameless was part of this definition. Blameless before God, except it be little children. Now, that right there was the definition of being innocent, was to be like a little child. And here, Nowhere else in Scripture it does this word blameless in little children exist except in the Book of Mormon. But yet that was the very definition of being innocent. And, and the reason I bring this up is he says, um, even at this time when thou shalt have taught the people the things of God that he commanded, even then are they found no more blameless in the sight of God, only according to the words which I have spoken. Well, he's mentioning being blameless, and he's mentioning being like a little child. Well, the reason I share these is because in that original Hebrew definition, that's what it meant to be broken and contrite. And the scriptures that say, like, hey, you need to become as a little child, well, people wonder, gosh, do I need to speak like a little child, or do I need to That's what I was thinking of that that scripture. So what does that that mean? Because we... I always think, like, how can I get rid of my cynicism and all of these things and become innocent again? I, I don't, you know, I can't wipe my memory. Right. Well, well, here's the here's the thing that that God's saying, and this is the thing that I'm kind of roundabout trying to tie in this ancient Hebrew word for becoming this broken and, and contrite was found in being guiltless, blameless, innocent, all represented by a little child. King Benjamin ties all those ideas together, which is one more proof. He's he's saying, you know, become as a little child, but this is this is what he means by it. He he says, if we want to be broken and contrite, if we want to come to God, he said, then we need to desire um, this uh, state of innocence as an infant, where they looked as an infant, uh, which could could not be guilty of a crime, uh, to be not. Um, guilty of a, of a devious heart, you know, to, to not be someone who could ever be blamed, you know. And, and this is the state that God is saying, that's what 
and, and more to the point, he says, the crying out of a child or one who is helpless. So when we are broken and contrite, all these ideas were tied into this word that the ancient Hebrews used and King Benjamin uses to mean he wants us to rely on God as a child who is innocent, as a child who can't do anything for himself, who is willing to call out on God, just like that infant who is helpless. Mm. Right? And that's that's all contained in the definition that King Benjamin ties together when you look back at the Hebrew. And that's what they're meaning when they say, hey, unless our bro- we're broken and contrite, that means unless we determine that we want to rely solely, purely, wholly, completely on God, then we're relying on ourselves. You know, either mm-hmm. God is God or we are God, right? And the difference is when we realize we can't do anything without a Savior, is that's when we become broken, right? That's when we realize yeah. I can only call on you. And the difference is uh, the degree of agency and the degree of choice that we have to do that uh, is multiplied and equal to our um, degree of joy. You know, little children will, they're in that state because they know no other state and they can't help themselves due to their cognitive development and everything. They have to be in that state. There is no choice, but it shows a picture of where they're at, right? They, yes. A, a little child can't go to the store and buy, buy a gallon of milk and come home and drink it. They're right. completely helpless and relying on the person around them. But we, we have to be that same in that same position, but we throw in our choice and our knowledge of evil and good and the t- everything that goes with it. And so somehow we have to find our way back to that. So he's giving us a standard, an image to measure up to. He's giving us, yes, this, and this was the definition in the Hebrew. And I love this right here. It states the, the definition of this was the crying out of one who is helpless. And, and that's the condition that God wants us to come to. And when you look in scripture, what's, what's interesting to me is when you see these, like Alma Jr. and then his son, who he's speaking to in the 17th chapter of Alma, he, he's telling about this time. He said, I was in the darkest abyss. I was in the worst place. And, it, and then I remembered in this place, hearing this name of Jesus, and I called out to him. And suddenly all the darkness was gone. I'm paraphrasing. But this, this moment of Alma's life is depicting this crying out of one who's helpless. All this is to say, this is what God says we are to do. You know, we have Satan tugging at us, trying to pull us away. And he's saying, call on me just like the, a helpless child, just like this innocent one. That's when you're broken and contrite, you 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 will call on something, right? You're yes. you're hurting, right? But maybe yes. you call on uh, something in a bottle, right? right? Or maybe you call on you know a pill to take, or maybe you call on binge binge watching TV. But God is saying, no. When you're calling on me like this helpless infant who can do nothing for himself, that's when you're broken and contrite. So broken and contrite to break it down means crying out of one who is helpless. <clears throat> Right. Is that right? Ultimately, that's what okay. it is. And so, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. No. Crying out of one who is helpless. And, and, and so part of the key then for us to becoming broken and contrite is, is trying to um, coming to a full understanding of being helpless. And we do not want to do that. We, we, we spend all of our energy and means to prove that we're not helpless. To prove we're, we're self-reliant. Yep. Uh-huh. That we're competent, that we have our life in order, that we're, we're strong. We're there. We're, we're doing okay. Don't ask how I'm doing. I'm going to tell you I'm doing fine, whether I am or not. But, but we have to admit that we are crying out because we're helpless to God and coming to that state is really where the heart. So that's where the heart changes. And that's why God says, the scripture says the blood of Christ is sufficient for all of those who are crying out knowing they are helpless mm-hmm. or who are broken and contrite. Mm-hmm. I love that. Isn't that something? I love getting to the base of of something like that because broken and contrite, it's one of those flyby scriptures, uh, broken and contrite, you know, broken and contrite, okay. And we all have a thousand different ideas of what that means. But when you picture a child at the breast of their mom or in the arms of their mother 
Now we all have the same image. Oh, okay. Exactly. I'm that baby's crying out and completely helpless. Yep. That's where we have to get to. Exactly. To realize that it's only because of our savior that we have any hope and we have to cry out and call to him. I, I, I love the meanings of these words too. And that again, it brings it back to nowhere else in the book, in, in any of the book of scripture, does it tie in the state of an infant and being blameless and guiltless and all these attributes and then calling on this God who, who has the power to save. That's the ultimate meaning of being broken and contrite. And, you know, we can't confuse that with, um, somber personalities that sometimes we equate with, you know, some, some, honestly, Mike, sometimes I just see people who are just down or like, um, just in bad moods kind of, and, and that sort of creates this dark shadow over their ministry or whatever, or like kind of depicting that God is always mad at us. Maybe that's being broken or contrite or whatever. It's, it's none of that. It's, it's realizing our own helpless state and, and realizing there's only one source of help and calling on him. And it's, there, being broken and contrite, I guess, is is maybe um, a condition of the heart that I don't know that we really witness in the church the way we, we've been brought up, the way right. we should, you know. It's certainly not something that we, I don't think we have in the forefront of our mind as being a priority. You can, you can see that in, um, this is just the nature of us, uh, but in our relationships in this society, but we, those aren't the things you see that come across the prayer chain. Those aren't the things that are brought up in, in prayer services. You know, Lord, help me recognize that I'm helpless. Help me, help me, <laughs> help me get to that state where I recognize. Can you imagine, uh, maybe I should, can you imagine that going out on a prayer chain? You know, oh, Mike, Mike's requesting prayers to recognize that, that he's helpless like a child at his mother's breast you know because <laughs> but that's what we have to that's what we have to get to and, and and I get it that's not but I say I get it I don't want to make an excuse but is that the number one priority when we come together for prayer right. or is it just to alleviate my suffering today just mm-hmm. make sure there's no turbulence so I can fly mm-hmm. and land the plane right mm-hmm. like you exactly. talked about exactly. exactly and that's that's Upside down. It's just backwards. That's not what should be the priority. Yeah. Yeah. It's realizing that we have nothing of ourselves, you know, other than what he gives us. You. That's when Paul states, and there's been much speculation on what was the thorn in Paul's side that mm-hmm. he said he prayed to the Lord to remove it and he, and he wouldn't remove it. Um, we, we all have those thorns in our side that continually haunt us. And the Lord allows them to be there to, to bring us back to that point. He's like, guys, look, you you can't get over this. You're you're helpless to overcome what you're suffering from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're helpless. And what's what's the um, what's some things that you think are in your life or, or or in the lives of people in general that that we're the most helpless, the areas we're the most helpless in. Oh. Well, just a, <laughs> I mean, loving your enemy, yeah, obviously. Yeah, Look at right now. Yeah. Look at right now where the world's at. Yeah, we I, are helpless to have a solution to this. Helpless, completely helpless. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in general, I think for me, it's it's um, trying to feel genuine love, not contrived or false. You know, like false humility mm-hmm. or something. When when people are generally. Um, treating you, you know, whether it's with disrespect or dishonor or disregard, um, to, to be totally charitable in your heart towards them, regardless of the consequence to you. You know, I heard once, and I try to keep this in mind, that the measure of a man or a person is how, or the character of a person is how you treat somebody who can do nothing for you in return you know, in life and that, you know, it, your, your character is measured by how you treat other people, whether they can do anything for you or not. But when people mistreat us and to be totally loving regardless, um, that's, that's hard. That's, that's a hard one for me. You know, it's easy to love the people who love you. Right. Right. But you know, <laughs> have you heard the story? Like when I said, you know, the three day, the three legged dog that's, you know, missing a tail and one of his eyes crushed his shut and he's hopping down the street. When, when you just drive by and you see something like that, my heart just like aches for that creature. <laughs> but it's like the, 
the poofy little dog with the red bow around his face with perfectly manicured trotting down a thing that you just want to like smack, you know, like get the vest off, you know, uh, oh, the I've sunglasses. I've just offended a huge market. Oh, sorry. But, no, yeah. but what no, I, was I was in LA recently and this lady who was wearing all purple driving with her top down, had a dog, a poodle with a purple vest and purple sunglasses sitting in the passenger seat with, with sunglasses, seat, with, with sunglasses <laughs> and the seatbelt around it as she's driving down Hermosa beach. You know, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I'm driving past the homeless people. Here's this dog with sunglasses right. on. Yeah, but sometimes I see um, the broken and the hurting and the and that that can't do anything for me. Another way to look at it, and I feel sorry and bad for them, and I feel empathy. But it's the, like the prideful people that I don't know. There's a spirit in them that it's just really hard for me to to love. You know, mm-hmm. like you said, the ones that are angry or just seem to have everything and don't have the time of day for you. That's, that's a hard group. That's help. I'm pretty helpless at yeah, times. Yeah. You know, I suppose when we take a hard look at the, um, the things in life, like you mentioned, or those hard things, that's the, that's the area where God is probably anxious to rush in and fill that void in our life and show us the way if we'll, if we'll ask him, Hey Lord, how can I overcome this anger I have towards other people? Um, I, I, I sometimes you wonder: Are we the ones who are supposed to make ourselves innocent, or are, or can we do yes. nothing about that? You know, I I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Mike. I'd like to hear because well, yeah. Sometimes I always try to separate out the scriptures if I'm if I'm reading a standard or if I'm reading a process. So the scripture says, you know, mm-hmm. under yeah, that's those a good way that are, to put it, yeah, under those that have a broken heart and contrite spirit, you know, the blood of Christ will save you. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Under none else can it save. Well, that's a great standard. That's a great standard to look to. Okay, well, that I definitely want to be broken and contrite. Well, now we've just broken it down a little bit more, giving us a better picture of what that means. It means you have to be one that's crying out, knowing that you're helpless for the Lord to to save you, just like you're relying on him like a little baby relying on her mother. Okay, well, that, that gives me a lot better picture and yet, how do I become that, right? How do I get to that state of feeling helpless? And and not just from my mouth, but in my heart, recognizing it. And we've seen so many pictures in scriptures where people do get to that state. Oh, God, I would give up all of my sins to know you. Yeah. Or if I could just, all I want is you, Lord. You know, all I want is to partake of that fruit and it fills my soul. That's, that's. That's what I want, and it's complete joy. That's all I care about, you know. What? So maybe that's the process. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I don't have it. It's just there is a process of getting to that point of helplessness, and and part of it is life. Is that not why God allowed Adam to fall so that men might be and 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 men are that they might have joy? And, And but the other part of that is men. Adam fell that men might be and experience misery so that they may have joy. I mean, that's the full story as borne out in the scriptures. We are experiencing this life, but this life can either lead us to that feeling of helplessness or it can cause us to put on this hard shell and harden our heart. And that's the other parallel that maybe we've never put it in that context, right? It's either the softening of the heart or the hardening of the heart. Yes, yes. This, um, Part of King Benjamin's speech is interesting because as you were stating that, my eyes fell on the scripture. And and part of this is process, but part of this is is principle. And here's, this is from the book of Mosiah, chapter one, starting at verse 118. And this is all in the same context where he's tying in being blameless and guiltless with mm-hmm. being like a little child. But he says this, men drink damnation to their own souls, except they humble themselves and become as little children. So, except they humble themselves. So, this is the first part of the process. It's just what you said. It's like I'll give away all my sins to know you, right? I mean, that's the that's the process of becoming humble. And and it says, except they become, they humble themselves and become as little children, and believe that salvation was and is to come through the atoning blood of Christ the Lord omnipotent. So remember, he's speaking to people who are hearing the word Christ for the first time. It's not like this is their 10,000th Sunday of hearing about Jesus every day. But he's he's teaching these people for the first time, you become humble 
and you believe that he is the only source of salvation and he is the Lord omnipotent, right? And and then he explains, we have to do this because the natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall and will be forever. So he's saying, this is the first step to overcoming the natural man is to become humble and to believe that we need a savior and that savior was God. And, and that first step has to start there. That's the change. That's the beginning of the change of heart. And then the principle is in verse 120, I think. And it says, but if he yieldeth to the enticings of the Holy Spirit. So now all of a sudden, by humbling ourselves and calling on God, we get the Holy Spirit in response. And putteth off the natural man. So now by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's the that's the principle that comes. We're given this Holy Spirit to help us overcome this natural side of us, which is the enemy to God. And it says, becomes a saint through the atonement of the Christ of Christ the Lord. And now it says, becometh as this child at the breast, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him. Isn't that something? I know we talked about that one time, but that that this is tied up in the equation. It's not that we just become like a little child, meek and patient, but the, we also yield our heart to think, no, I'm going to suffer some, whatever God sends my way. That's the process by humbling ourselves. And then we get by and by the, the more of the spirit to help us overcome this when we choose to submit to him. Two words in that that you just mentioned here in this last yieldeth. And also um, you said something to the effect of focusing on the atoning blood of Christ. Yeah. How did, what, how did that read, so, read so that said, part again? Uh, this is verse 120. But if he yieldeth to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and putteth off the natural man, and he becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord, and becometh as a child, submissive, patient, humble, full of love, willing to submit. So there's a lot, there's a lot tied up in my day-to-day interaction, movement, being in that word yieldeth. That's, that's a huge, that word carries a lot of weight. What, what do you think that word, that word yieldeth? I mean, that, Mm. so (laughs) that's where I spend my time and space. You know, that's a huge action word. Am I, am I yielding? Yielding. That's not a um, word that we use. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever used yieldeth. You know, I, <laughs> I yieldeth to you. Uh, yeah, we have yield signs when we get on the highway. So what, what, what does that yield sign mean to us? It means slow down and give preference to the other person if they're in your way. You know, I've never really thought about that word yield, but um, it's to submit, to give up, I guess. You're submitting your place in line to someone else if they're ahead of you. I don't know. It's uh, You don't want to dumb it down too much, but but is that ever in the forefront of our mind? Because when I feel like I want to act out, I'm being called to yield to the Spirit of God rather than allowing the natural spirit to overtake me. And is that within my power to do? What what has to be in place in my life to allow me to yield to that spirit? That's an interesting word. It, just as you mentioned that, I thought, hmm, I wonder where that exists in Scripture. That word yield, and and <laughs> here it's, we go. it's yeah, here we go. There's um, a bunch in the Old Testament. I'm just kind of scanning this real quick. Where uh, again, Mike, one of these days we'll have a script for these podcasts, but it hasn't happened yet, <laughs> right? Um, this uh, word in the Old Testament is used quite a bit with yielding fruit, like a tree bearing fruit to yield fruit. But what there's a couple of places in the New Testament. Uh, Romans is one I'm seeing right here where Romans 6.13 says, um, don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. There's kind of a cool parallelism using yielding, but none of them are as good as the Book of Mormon here, mm-hmm. where um, the first one, and this is this is this is the spirit yielding. First Nephi five two forty. It, it's not quite in the same context, but this is so appropriate. Yea, the God of Abraham and Isaac and the God of Jacob yieldeth Himself. 
according to the words of the angel, as a man into the hands of wicked men. Oh my goodness. Isn't that something? What's that reference? First Nephi chapter five, verse 240. So you think about this word yield, how important it is that we yield to him. Well, this is the Book of Mormon is putting in context the fact that he, the creator, yielded to us. Right, I mean, the the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob yieldeth Himself as a man into the hands of wicked men, to be lifted up according to the words of Zenoch, and crucified according to the words of Nehem, and buried in a sepulchre according to the words of Zenos, and and then he talks about the three days of his death. You know, here it is: God yields Himself to us, right? So, so then Nephi later in his in his uh, what we call Nephi Psalm says, why should I yield to sin because of my flesh, right? Um, and, he ta- and he admonishes his brothers. He says, oh, my beloved brethren, remember the awfulness in transgressing against the holy God, against the awfulness of yielding to the enticings of the cunning one. So, so here, Satan wants us to yield to him. God yielded himself to us, though, and now we need to yield to him. And that's the choice. This is like this whole balance there's two paths. Which one are you going to go down? It's in other words, which which place are you going to yield your heart to? Right to Satan's ways yeah. or to God's ways? He yielded himself to us. That's the I was pondering on this scripture though I didn't know the scripture and the exact wording, but I was pondering on this concept over the last couple of weeks because, and this is not going to probably be a very popular view, but the the strife and the anger and everything we have in society right now, I just, regardless of who's right and wrong or who's at fault, imagine this, Corey. Imagine an inner city population who uh, has been downtrodden and has been part of a culture that's been, you know, beaten down over the years, but have made strides and there's things to get ahead, but usually there's still a culture. that Imagine if that population yielded to the police in authority, whether that authority was the most unrighteous authority or the most perfectly just authority. Imagine if that culture taught their children, just yield to authority, and there was no more conflict. <laughs> would, there be, would there be what we're seeing today? Right. Now, is that just? No. Is that, um, is that right that you should have to do that? No. But was it right that the God of humanity, the creator of the world, was put to death by the hands of men? Mm. No. And so when Jesus came, you know, to the to the Jews, they wanted they wanted this king to come and just blow away their oppressors and just wipe them off and tell them, hey, we don't have to pay our taxes anymore. We don't have to do these things. You know, this is unrighteous. This is not just. <laughs> wow. And Jesus said, Nope, give them what they want. And give me what I want, which is your heart. And basically told them, if you go about acting this way, no, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed Mm -hmm. are the persecuted. It doesn't mean that it's right. It doesn't mean that it's just. But if you want to go and rebel and call down thunder from heaven and wipe people off, you're going to end up being destroyed. And that's exactly what happened. The whole culture was wiped out of Jerusalem and wiped out of Israel. And, and that's such a good point, Mike. And now because of these I these elements going on in society where people are not responding towards towards yielding and righteousness, then you have even stronger elements in persuasive positions in government saying, oh, just placate them, you know, make, make everything good, give them whatever they want. It's like none of that's going to fix the solution. It comes back to yielding your heart. No, we're a bunch of wicked, wicked, wicked Gentiles trying to do whatever. It has nothing to do with uh, making things more safe for a certain race or culture. It doesn't. And everything going on is making things worse. I don't I don't want to get, I'm just looking at the scriptures. Jesus, so this scripture in 1 Nephi 5, 240 is perfect. The, the righteous yields himself into the hands of wicked mm-hmm. men and allows them to kill him. And that is the Lord telling us, people say, well, how can a loving God allow bad things to happen? Well, a loving God allowed the worst thing to happen to himself. <laughs> exactly. He came down and, and took on flesh and, and made himself lower than the angels and allowed himself to be destroyed by, by men that he created and that he loved on the entire mm. time he was here. Mm. That's, wow. that's wow. the only way the story makes sense. We're not worshiping a God that sits up far away. He stepped right into the midst of our mess and let us do to him what we do to each other 
and then said, this is the result of your wicked heart. Now, will you submit your heart so I can change it into something much more beautiful, mm. much more glorious? Mm. 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 And that's where and we're seeing this played out again today. And that's why the love of man will wax cold and it's going to be as bad as it was in the days of Noah. And there's going to be no choice but for him to return and save us. Wow. Uh, you just nailed it, brother. That is that is beautiful. Uh, I was reading a Hebrew uh, meaning of the word perfect because the scriptures say, hey, and, you know, Jesus said, you know, be perfect. And, and then people are like, well, how can I do that? You know, it's like I'm sinner. But I was reading that the word perfect, the better translation of that word is complete. Now, mm. in the Book of Mormon, in the Book of Mormon, what's interesting is that Jesus states this, but he says, I will that you would become perfect. And and this is tied in a in a larger chiasm, which not to uh, un, uh, dig, dig through all that right now. The, the meaning of this is when Jesus says, I, w- I will that you be perfect. It doesn't mean that necessarily I think we're going to reach perfection in this world. We can't without him. His, his, his intent is that I will that you become 100% complete. That means 100% restored to me. And that the whole purpose of what you just said, him coming down and yielding himself into the hands of his own creation, is so that we can become fully complete again, which totally throws this whole multiple levels of salvation thing on its chin one more time. Because for us to be complete means we have to be restored. There is no completion without him. Right. And, and how, how can it be that, okay, we'll say we do what King Benjamin said, I humbled myself. And then I, the second part of the process happens. I began yielding to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and started putting off this natural man. Maybe not as much as Mike Barrett, but I did some. How is that? Well, sorry, Corey, you, you, here's this moon glory for you. You know, it's like Mike did a little bit better. So he gets the star glory. It's like, that's not it at all. It's that in the end, when we are humble and contrite, God says, for whatever you were given, if you were given 50 and you did it good with 50 or you were given five and you did it good with five, the whole point is I'm judging you that your heart changed. And and when your heart changes, I remove all the sin. And it's that sin that's separating you from me. It's not the amount of works you had. It's the, it's, it's the sin, which one sin or a million sins, none of them allow you to be with me again. And so I... I can remove all those because the laws of eternity states when you come to me and become like this helpless child and call on me, the law allows me to apply mercy to wipe out justice, the mm-hmm. justice we would have suffered. You know, this process, it's interesting because, Mike, when we started uh, earlier today talking, I thought, man, there's a scripture I found earlier this week. And I can't remember where it was, but I knew it had something to do with the heart. And it's funny because right now, I think this is the the time to share this. We read King Benjamin saying, humble yourself, call on God, realize he's He's the uh, the atonement. And if you do, he'll give you a spirit. You'll be able to start overcoming this natural man because of him, not become of us. But here's the conclusion, or at least a conclusion of of, of how this finishes out. And this is jumping ahead to the book of Helaman. In a time when the Nephites were kind of righteous and kind of wicked, and they were wanting to go out and start preaching to the Lamanites, in this time period, it states, um, in the, I'm just going to read Helaman 2, 29, 30, 31. In the 50 and first year of the reign of the judges, there was peace also, save it were the pride which began to enter into the church not into the church of God, but into the hearts of the people who professed to belong to the church of God. There's an interesting distinction there that, you know, so, so the, that is so, that's one of those things like, was he scratching in there? And then, and then he didn't have time to erase it because it's in metal. And he's like, let me clarify, not the real church, but those that are acting like the church. In other words, they're not really the church if they're acting this way. Exactly. Isn't that something? No, I think, <laughs> I, it's a, that. I think it's exactly save it were the pride which began to enter into the church, not into the church of God, not God's doing, but the hearts of the people began to change. And they were lifted up in pride, even to the persecution of many of their brethren. So, so we see this element of the hearts of the people changing. So they were, 
they were probably baptized, right? And they're probably yeah, all being together, yeah. worshiping together, yep, because it yep. says they're persecuting their brethren. But he right there draws a line and says, "You're not the church, not the not the church, but you that are acting like in act in in membership, perhaps." Right? That's it, awesome, isn't that something? And 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 it states, and it, he's just so on point here. And now, as if I can cr- criticize this, right? No, this is just beautiful. Now, this was a great evil, which did cause the more humble part of the people to suffer great persecutions and to wade through much affliction. So there were still the humble people there, and they were suffering because there was pride in the church. So here you got all these baptized mm-hmm. members, some who are humble, some who are lifting their hearts in pride. But it's this is what's, the, and this is the verse right here that, I found that I wanted to share earlier, but it's like, maybe this is the right time now. Verse 31, Helaman 2, 31. Nevertheless, they did fast and pray off. Now that's interesting because somehow they must have yielded, right? They did wax stronger and stronger in their humility. Remember, it started with being humble and firmer and firmer in their faith in Christ. Remember, firmness is that word which means faithful unto the filling of their souls with joy and consolation. So their humility and their fasting and their prayers, despite their persecution, brought them joy and they felt consoled. In spite of their persecution. In spite of it. Yes. They found persecution because they had yielded to God's spirit in humility. And this is the conclusion. Yea, even to the purifying and the sanctification of their hearts, which sanctification cometh because of their yielding their hearts to God. We can't strive to make things right outside of what God has said. And he says there's going to be these injustices. There's going to be persecution. And I'm telling you these things in the scriptures to show you the the real miracle, the real purpose of life is to find joy in spite of those things through your relationship with me. Right. And so in the end, it's like, so when a society teaches or encourages or even just looks the other way and says, okay, well, go ahead and loot this Walmart because you're angry. No, that That's not going to resolve anything. What's going to be resolved is when you say, no, the, the, the master, our creator taught us, even if the doors of the Walmart were left unlocked and wide open and no one was watching, that you don't go in there and take those things because they're not yours because stealing's wrong, right? Or whatever. That when we instill the ideas of the society that are against the ways of Satan, that Satan says, no, you want to lash out because you're anger. You you want to be, yeah. you you want to you know do this because of the injustice. Or excuse perceived. it. Or excuse it, right. It's okay because... Um, you know, you've reached a finite limit of injustices. Now you're going to lash out, and that's the only way to get things to change. That's contrary to the word of God. Or to feel that you got even. Right. The whole thing is that's yielding your heart to the ways of the evil one. And Jesus said the only way it changes is when you yield your heart to him. This this last verse of Helaman 31, these people's hearts were filled with joy and consolation despite the problems. And it says their hearts became pure and sanctified. And the sanctification that changed, to be sanctified means to be changed, came because of their yielding their hearts to God. That's the ultimate answer is that when our hearts yield to him, that's what we become broken and contrite. We become like that helpless child that we call on him because there's no other place to call. Mm-hmm. There's no other being to call on. There is no, we are not going to have a fair, equitable, just society outside of Jesus Christ. And when men turn away their moral compass from the gospel of Jesus, even if it's just the Bible and the Ten Commandments, when men start to turn their hearts from the most basic concepts of good and evil, that society is going to get more and more evil. And no matter how just or fair it starts to look on the outside and no matter how many laws and speeches are given evil men and evil women are doing these things and they're outside of the law of god and this this helaman right here is so beautiful and this is really the only hope for i really i really hope people are hearing your message right here in helaman that the hope of man is by yielding our hearts to jesus and that the spirit of man is to try to make things equal outside of that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to Without just alleviate it. the persecution. Right, right. And it'll never work. No, yeah. the, hatred is hatred. Sin is sin. Whether it's 
I hate you because you're Baptist or Catholic or a woman or because you're gay or because you're black or Asian. It's, it's, it's the, it's so gross to God. All of that is so gross to God and not allowed in any way, shape or form. And Jesus says, you can't rise up against your masters and, and try to destroy him. You have to be humble and meek and yield to me and suffer persecution. And then what's he and say right here and find joy in your persecution. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't sound normal, brother, and especially not from what I'm hearing on the news. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What else you got there? Anything? Oh, it's all good. I, I just, no, I appreciate talking to you about these things and hopefully it can give some hope to people who are feeling a little lost and confused. Um, so the, the solution probably to all that is that um, it's it's been the same from the beginning. Um, when my kids were little, I remember one time when one of my sons was ill during the night and he a couple of my kids shared bunk beds in the bedroom at the time and my uh, daughter who was a few years older than him came in in the morning and told all the bad things that happened to him during the night how he was sick and through throwing up and different things that had happened and described in just perfect detail everything you know from the colors and the smells and everything and and, and uh, I remember just saying, oh, it's it's just enough that we know that he isn't feeling good, right? And, and when I look around at these <laughs> things in our society and the evil and the upheaval and just realize it's just like we're seeing the details of, of all the sickness. And in the end, it's just God knows that we're sick. And these are just the, um, these are the symptoms of being sick, right? And that mm. we can only... We'll only overcome it when our hearts yield to him. And uh, this is a sign that, you know, the love of men is, is waxing cold. I'm not speaking prophetically in any means or manner. I'm just saying that uh, uh, he he has the solution. And the happy part that I see, and this is what I would say, is that um, he wins. He, despite the problems of our day and of this world, the promise we hold in our hands in his word is that there is a time coming when this word goes out and it's the word that changes the hearts of, of not just people who have found the restoration, but it changes the world and people will become aligned. And at the same time, it's prophesied that Satan's forces become stronger too, but God's people become stronger. And uh, we're, we haven't seen that fully emerge yet, but I believe it's beginning on hold as we lay hold of this word of God. And as the scriptures say, whoever lays hold of the word of God, which is quick and powerful, shall dis- divide asunder all the cunning and the snares and the wiles of the devil and lead the man of Christ in a straight and mar- narrow course across the everlasting gulf of misery. <laughs> That's what... An endless woe? Yeah, <laughs> uh, which is prepared to engulf the wicked and land their souls, their immortal souls, at the right hand of God in the kingdom of heaven to sit down with the forefathers and go no more out. You know... Yeah, the the good times are the best is yet ahead. I believe I really do, despite the wickedness around us. I I can't fix it, but we will when our hearts change. I would, I would add, or I would say to those saints, expect more injustice in what's coming ahead. Expect more unrighteousness. Expect more rights and things to be taken away and not to make sense because it's prophesied of the Lord. It doesn't mean that that's what we hope for, but remember that we can have joy in the midst of these things. And we have to check our hearts and make sure that we don't want to call down thunder from heaven and have God just wipe away and right every wrong, but mm-hmm. but that the spirit that Jesus told those Jews to have at that time when they were under bondage to their to their authorities, to the authorities, the spirit that they were to have was to be blessed are the peacemakers, Mm -hmm. blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm -hmm. God knows those of us that have a heart for him, regardless of the color of our skin right now, those that have a heart for God are suffering because of just the wickedness and the anger and the hatred that's all around us. Blessed are you. God sees that and he knows that. Be a peacemaker be humble and yield to the spirit and don't let anger to rise up inside. It will destroy you and those around you. 
and um, things will get worse. It's prophesied, but but this means the kingdom is coming. So to me, the scary thing is if I don't want to be in the presence of God today because of my sins, I need to get to the place that I, I want to be in his presence because it could be sooner than any of us expect. When I was speaking with that man in the airport, we shared a couple episodes ago, and he had felt led to come to me, and I had listened and, and shared with him. In the moment when he's speaking to me, and I, and I heard these words, tell him be anxious for nothing, my heart wanted to shy away because I thought, I don't want to, I don't want to just assume that, you know, it's my place to tell him something about God's word. But, and I say this because our natural position is to think people don't want to hear God's word. But, but in that moment, it was God's word that brought his comfort and it brought soothing relief to him. And it's what people need to hear now. It's, it is the solution and that we can't sit back thinking, oh, well, God will have to fix all this. You can help by being this agent whose heart has yielded to God and, and being a comfort to those people around you, reaching out and, and offering the olive branch where you can and, 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 and speaking the word of God because they, they do want it. They, they don't know they want it sometimes, but they do and will respond because God's spirit will accompany that and their hearts can change too. Yeah, you could have said any number of things to that man. You know, you could have apologized for what's going on in the world. You could yeah. have went into, uh, I'm sorry, you know, I'm going to fight for your rights. But but you <sighs> simply spoke the word of God to him, and it was a blessing to him and to the bus driver. And to the bus driver, too. Said. Yeah, and it's like, you know, we cautiously think, oh, I shouldn't do this. But it's like, no, God's word is the solution. Even in just tiny little bits and pieces here, it's the thing that will make a difference because it's the only thing that can change change our hearts so they yield to him as saints we have to just start loving on people but in a way maybe that's different than what society would say is love it's yeah. it's just to offer them jesus mm-hmm. to offer them jesus that's beautiful well thank you for bringing um your insights into broken and contrite and being helpless as a child well thank you for your insights and your wisdom i always feel like i've grown when we've been together so. you know every at the end of every podcast what do you say Just keep walking each other home. That's all we're trying to do. And what I heard you say today is walking is an action. We're not just standing with each other until we get home. Mm -hmm. We are walking each other home. Mm -hmm. So I'm committed to do more of the walking with my brothers and putting myself out there a little bit more. Uh, Amen. Till next time, God bless. Mm